One thing I've learned from my own lived experience, and if you've read Together Tea or The Stationery Shop, you know that the theme of both those books, and in fact, the theme of probably everything I'll ever write, is that love outlasts loss. Okay, this episode's sponsor is Chelsea Green Publishing. Chelsea Green is recognized as a leading publisher of books about restorative living, diet-focused integrative health, organic farming, homesteading, local food, and much, much more. Check out all the new recent and best-selling titles from Chelsea Green, including Understanding the Heart, Surprising Insights into the Evolutionary Origins of Heart Disease and Why It Matters, by Dr. Stephen Hussey, who we had on the show recently. For more about this title and more, visit chelseagreen.com. And get this as a special bonus for all those Drew Perlman Show listeners out there. Receive 35% off. Yeah, 35% off your total order from Chelsea Green by just using the discount code POD35. That's POD35 at checkout. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. Okay, let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Marjan Kamali. Marjan is the award-winning author of The Stationery Shop, a national bestseller, and Together Tea, a Massachusetts Book Award finalist. She is a 2022 recipient of the National Endowment for the Arts Creative Writing Fellowship. And Kamali's novels are published in translation in more than 20 languages. And the stationery shop was awarded the, if I'm, hopefully I'm pronouncing this correct, the Pre-Attitude in France, or Pre-Attitude um, in France, something along those lines. And her essays have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Literary Hub, and the Los Angeles Review of Books. Marjan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Drew. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> this is, yeah, it's great to, I was just telling Marjan, so we have a mutual friend, the 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 other great writer, Erica Ferencik, who, and Erica I've known for many years, she's been on my show, and I, and I, and I mentioned to her that I wanted to talk to a, you know, a great writer and have a, have a great conversation, and Erica brought up Marjan right away, so uh, I'm su super excited to have you here with, with me today. Thank you, likewise, and I'm a big fan of Erica's myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. And um, yeah. And I was telling Marjan um, when I when I found out she was going to be on the show, um, I read the stationery shop and I loved it. And I've told other people about it. I told my mother, and my mother has now read it twice, oh. literally this oh. week. Oh. And, and 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 Marjan, I got to tell you, she said she said that the so she listened to the the book on tape and. And apparently she was saying that the, 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 the woman who was reading the book, if you, if you want to have it read to you, ha has an amazing voice. So she's already gone through it twice. Oh, well, that's, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> and yes, the audiobook is read by Mojan Marneau, who does a fantastic job. So I'm thrilled to hear that. 
All right. So yes, if you're looking for a great book this spring or this summer, check out the stationery shop. And and Marjan, I'd love for you to just tell briefly, you know, without giving too much away, just briefly a little bit about the, you know, the plot line, the storyline of, you know, what the stationery shop is all about. Sure. Um, the stationery shop is a love story. It's about two teenagers who fall madly in love when they're 17 in 1953 in Iran. And then they have this whirlwind romance as one can only really have at that age. And they're actually engaged to be married. But on the day when they're supposed to meet in the town square to get their certificate of marriage, the country erupts in this violent coup d'etat and they're separated. And Roya, our heroine, searches valiantly for her lover, Batman, but can't find him. And basically, she moves on to a whole new life. She moves to the U.S., gets married to Walter. Uh, Sixty years go by until finally, through a twist of fate, she gets to reunite with her first love and ask him all the questions that have haunted her for 60 years. Mm. There you go. So yeah, that's so, it's such a uh, such a wonderful story, and and as you say, it spans sixty years. And you know, I was really struck by what Iran was like back in nineteen fifty three, prior to the coup. Uh, would you say, ha- having lived there, uh, Marjan, was it a was it a vastly different place prior to the coup? Yes, I mean, I can't. Speak from personal experience about prior to the coup because it was 1953. I wasn't around then, but I did get a lot of information from research I did, books I read, people I interviewed, and of course from my own parents who were there. And the Iran we see today in the news is vastly different from the Iran that existed in the big cities in nineteen in the 1950s, and even, of course, from the Iran leading up to the 1979 revolution. So it's a country that's undergone tremendous change, um, sort of humongous political shifts that have changed a lot of what's on the surface, but I really feel what's at the core uh, a lot of the spirit of the people and the culture has remained the same. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, because, you know, the way you described when when Roya was was being taken to different places by by Bauman and um, the cafes and the cinema um, were, were these things. So I know you got a lot of information from your father. Mm-hmm. Were, were these were these experiences he had when he was living at that time? Yes, you know what, Drew, this book had sort of a double layer for me because on the one hand, I was writing the novel and I was creating this story and I was trying to create the atmosphere and the setting of Iran, of Tehran in particular, in 1953. But on the other hand, there was this whole other layer of conversations I was having with my father conversations I wouldn't otherwise have had but because I had the excuse of the book (laughs) and you know it's like oh this is for research um he really opened up to me so yeah all those um cafe scenes that there was this burgeoning cafe culture in Tehran the cinema um what people were wearing down to the shoes 
specifically which pastries they were eating in the cafes. All of that came from my father. And he basically shared with me the memories of his adolescence, which was amazing. Mm. And the idea of the stationary shop itself as a place, um, as, as this key meeting, meeting spot, how did that come to you? That is a great question. In some of our conversations, even before I started to write the stationary shop, um, once I was chatting with my dad and he just mentioned in passing that when he was a teenager in high school, he would go to a stationary shop in Tehran that also sold books and that the owner of the stationery shop would pass love notes in between the pages of the books to teenagers who wanted to correspond to their crushes. Obviously, this was way before uh, texting. Uh, <laughs> you know, this was at a time when they could probably not feel comfortable even calling one another's homes because the parents would pick up. And when my pe- when my father said this to me, I remember thinking, how can I not include that in a book? That is just so romantic. And so the stationery shop in my book is based in part on the stationery shop my father visited, though I made up the owner and most certainly made up his past. Right, right. So, so when your father finally read, I mean, did he when when he read the book? Did did he feel as though things were accurate? What 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 was his reaction to to the finished the finished book, the finished story? He was really proud. I mean, he had read um, a draft before, and he had pointed out some inaccuracies. It's so amazing, Drew, because he wanted me to get everything down to the street names, geographically (laughs) correct. And and I kept saying to him, no one's going to care about the street names. No one cares. But, but I, you know, I, he drew me maps. I adhered to the correct geographical locations. And then when the manuscript was going to Simon and Schuster to be copy edited, they had a fact checker who fact checked all the political things I said, because those are based on, you know, historical events. And also she would write to me and say, oh, you said Hafez Street. It was actually Hafez Avenue. So they also cared. Mm. But um, my father was very proud of the finished book. And what makes me super uh, sort of just satisfied and grateful is that a lot of the people from that generation who've read the book write to me and say things like, you recreated the country I knew. You recreated my youth. And that's a huge compliment. And they're not related to me. They don't need to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And so, um, Marjan, so you you grew up, well, you were born in Turkey. I just, just so I get this all right, but you've lived in many different places. So did you, when did you go back to Iran during your childhood? At what point did you go back there? Or what, when did you live there? Yeah, so that's one of the biggest ironies of my writing journey. Um, I write about Iran. My first book, Together Tea, also takes place in Iran and the U.S. And yet, I haven't really lived there all that much. I was born in Turkey to Iranian parents. And in total, throughout the course of my life, I've lived in seven countries, in five continents. My time 
living in Iran was limited to between the ages of two and five, and then again, nine to almost 11. And throughout my life, I have visited. But I think part of the reason I write about Iran is because I didn't grow up there. But I lived with parents who did and who presented to me a version of this country that was so much in contrast to how Iran was portrayed on the news. And so my curiosity was always piqued. And because we lived in so many different countries growing up, I think my parents went out of their way to steep us in the Persian culture. So no matter where we were, at the end of the school day, when I came home, I came to an Iranian home where we spoke Persian, we ate Persian food. My parents very much, you know, tried to educate us about the culture. So I've had um, this sort of inculcation in the culture without having been there in person for very long. Mm. It, were you were you actually there during the revolution or at the beginning stages or um i have an interesting relationship to the revolution we were living abroad during the 1979 revolution i was a child when that was happening and then after the revolution for some of your listeners who may remember there was this short period of tremendous hope where everybody was celebrating that the Shah was gone. A lot of people were celebrating. They were saying the dictator is gone. Now we'll have democracy. So we were actually asked to go back and we went back in that pocket of time when it looked like things could go wonderfully. And then they didn't. Um, there were many iterations of the government in a short period of time right after February 1979. And then by the time we got to Iran, um, we got there in the summer of 1980. The government was still relatively new, but then after we arrived, it quickly became far-right religious fundamentalist. So I got there after the revolution, but before things changed, but I was there for the period of time when things changed drastically and for the beginning of the war with Iraq. Mm. And, and you were just, were you, you were, you were a young girl at the time, right? When, yeah. When, when we went back, I was nine. I was mm. nine when we went back. And so I started fourth grade there and I did all of fourth grade and half of fifth grade in Tehran. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I heard in one of your interviews and I, and I thought you made a really interesting comment um, where you said that no one really uh, something to the effect that no one really believed that the in 1979 or 1980 that the country could go that extreme. It, did, did you have a sense that, you know what, it was a, a very fascinating time because. Um, I, I'm not sure how to explain this, but it seemed impossible. It seemed impossible. Um, basically, in in December, I believe it was December of 1977, uh, or maybe 78. No, I think it was 77. President Jimmy Carter was in Iran, calling it an island of stability. Um, and Iran at that time was considered super westernized and pro-US. 
and very sort of quote-unquote modern for that region. So no one thought Iran would go so um, sort of far-right religious. And when I was there in the summer of 1980, when I arrived, you know, my sister and I were wearing our summer dresses, walking around, and then within a few months, the laws changed and women had to be covered. Uh, females above the age of nine had to be covered head to toe. And no one thought it could happen, um, but it did, but it did. Mm, absolutely. And and in the in the acknowledgement of your book, you, you wrote that your sister encouraged you to read and write when you took shelter in the basement as bombs fell mm-hmm. during during the childhood. Is that that's an experience that you kind of vividly remember? Absolutely. Yes. It's kind of ironic that so much of my reading and writing and love for it is linked to an experience that is traumatic. The war with Iraq started in September 1980, so a few short months after we went back. And, you know, in the middle of the night, we'd be woken up with sirens. Uh, We would be rushed down to the basement. That was our makeshift bomb shelter. And like any good mom, my mom tried to make the basement as palatable as possible. She had stocked it with board games and with books and we would read there I would read except the books my mom had at the time that were in English were paperbacks of the classics uh you know A Tale of Two Cities the Bronte sisters I remember reading Jane Eyre these were by no means what we would call middle grade or YA books at the today's by today's definition but it's what we had so i would read those books and i felt a tremendous sense of being transported by those writers words and then my sister my older sister in her attempt to sort of i don't know keep me on track or distract me would have me write book reports and then she would grade my book reports through <laughs> in a red pen and she was very tough <laughs> but it was a great training um in just appreciating literature mm. did she be has she become a teacher or something like that or oh she's a lawyer oh, okay she's using her red pen still <laughs> so so you've also said that this was one of the first time that that writing saved you and and i'd love you to just to comment on that how has writing saved you over the years writing has saved me continues to save me i don't like to think where i'd be without it um it's been therapeutic for me i think when you experience chaos and war is chaos. War is a situation where the order of things as you know it get thrown up in the air. Nothing makes sense. You don't know if you're going to be alive the next day. Every every time we came up from those basement steps, it felt like a miracle. We had gotten away. One more day we got to live. But I think when you experience this level of chaos, and it doesn't need to be war, it can be a whole range of things. Um, writing for me gives me a sense of control. I get to order the world of my characters. Now that world may be disorderly and complicated and you've read the stationery shop, you know it is, but 
it's it's incredibly empowering. It's incredibly empowering to have this this art form that you can escape into and that gives you an outlet and that gives you such a sense of flow when you're working and the day's going really well you lose track of time hours go by you get sort of transported into this other world and it's pretty magical and now that my books are published another magical little bonus is I get to connect with people all over the world which I didn't even expect when I started out at first I just assumed nobody would read anything I wrote, but now there's this ripple effect and it astounds me to think something I wrote alone in my room with the door shut, shades down, has connected to so many people. Mm. And, and, and is it true that, speaking of connecting it with more people, is it true that the stationary sh shop is being turned into a TV show or a TV series? Yes, that is true. That's fantastically true. Yes. <laughs> when when is it now? It, it, HBO is is this coming? Is this coming out pretty soon? Do you know or? Um, it's been optioned um, by HBO, and the adaptation is in the works. The timeline is relatively slow, especially we had the pandemic. Things have been backed up, so I'm not quite sure about the timeline. I just know that it's a whole new world for me and it's exciting to see the process, no matter where the process takes us. It's been exciting. It's been an exciting ride so far. Mm, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, Marjan, if there if there's a writer, if someone's listening who's really you know interested in writing or or wants to get started, you know, living an artist's life or a writer's life, um, what might you tell them for someone just starting out? I would say throw away the clock. I feel um, in our current culture, everybody's so obsessed with being efficient and we tend to reward speed and we tend to reward productivity to the level of, you know, you get more kudos if you just produce, 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 but nobody cares about the quality anymore, I would say throw away the clock. Mm -hmm. Pretend that this thing that you say you love, this writing thing is just for you. Pretend that it's about your own growth and how writing this short story, this poem, this novel may change you and focus on your art and your craft and don't worry about the audience. Don't worry about the timeline in the beginning. And then once you have a level of, you know, a sort of a, a manuscript that's almost there, then of course we should worry about the audience. And then that's a whole other story. But if you're starting out, don't fret about being published by a certain time. Just do your art in order for the art's sake. I know it's a cliche, but that's what I think is the best way. That's fantastic. Um, Marjan, what are some of your daily practices or rituals that you have that, that make you feel the most alive? Oh, uh, what a great question. <laughs> 
You know, Drew, I might get into trouble for this because I know, I know this is so against our current culture. I love to sit and think. Um, I don't go online. I don't need to be doing anything. And it's not even technically meditation. I love to sit and think. I find it so satisfying to give myself permission to just sort of stare into space and think. And I know it's just opposite of our sort of (laughs) achievement-oriented culture. But I think people don't daydream anymore. Um, We we are practically fused to our phones, where anytime our brain has a moment of peace, we get to sort of just, you know, have it drown in unnecessary information online. (laughs) So I love to sit and think. I do love to do yoga. I love to walk. I think movement is very much connected to creating art. So much of your solutions come up when you're technically away from the desk and moving. And of course, I love to read. Mm. I love to read. Oh, also, something that makes me feel super alive, and this won't surprise you having read a book called The Stationery Shop, is I love to write by hand with like Mm. great ink, slow, deliberate hand strokes. Cool. That's awesome. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, and that figures, I mean, that figures with, um, in the story as well, that the, the handwriting and the calligraphy. And, um, so that's, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Oh, and I love to cook. Oh, okay. Okay. We feel super alive. Yeah. Oh, that, oh, that's, that's beautiful. Anything is, is it um, anything in particular that you like to make or, or, or just do you like to experiment in the kitchen or how does that I like everything connected to cooking, um, just the, the variety of color. I love I love that. By mm. cooking, you transform something. Like even a lone onion can be transformed into so many different ways. I do love to cook Persian food. That That's my, um, I guess, my first love. But I love all cuisines. And, and sometimes, you know, when I'm on vacation, if I'm not, in a kitchen. Again, everything I'm saying, I feel is opposite of what one should say, but <laughs> I miss it. I miss, I miss cooking. Mm. So Marjan, in, in your eyes, this is a question that I ask m- most of the people that come on the show. In your eyes, what does it mean to be human, a human being in, in 2022? I think, um, wow, that's a great question. To be human means to to love. Um, one thing I've learned from my own lived experience, and if you've read Together Tea or The Stationery Shop, you know that the theme of both those books, and in fact, the theme of probably everything I'll ever write, is that love outlasts loss. And I think to be in 20, to be a human in 2022 means that you have to understand the connections you have with others, the ones that are deep and nurture your soul and move you are the only thing that matters. So I would say love, love deeply 
And then when we look at the sort of tally of our of the sum of our experience, no matter what we've lost, and you know, I'm no stranger to loss, it's it's the love that kind of wins out and love outlasts the loss. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. Um, if you had the opportunity to train, I'm asking all these heavy questions, but <laughs> if, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, 40 years or so, what words of wisdom would your current self share with your younger self? Ooh, I would say, um, what I, what I told your aspiring writers, throw away the cloth. You know, um, my younger self was was pretty scrappy and constantly worried about everything, but also about achieving certain things. And I would say, as long as you know what it is you want, just stop worrying about how you're going to get there, because the how will take care of itself. Um as long as you know deep in your heart and you're living a life aligned with your values, it doesn't matter when it happens. It just matters that you're doing what you can um, in the present moment and the how will take care of itself. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Marjan, are you working on anything new now or what's the, what's the latest? I'm working on a new novel. Okay. So, um, right before I connected with you for this lovely interview, I was working on it, and it's it's currently called Novel Three. Beautiful title. <laughs> um, like the first two books, it takes place in Iran and U.S., and and this time it's a friendship story. And once again, Drew, writing is what saves me because. As you know, when we turn on the news and we see at this current moment the war in Ukraine or all kinds of difficulties that are happening all over our globe, it's easy to feel despair and to feel paralyzed. But yet again, the writing is keeping me um, grounded because I'm enjoying being with these characters and, and connecting with them and seeing how this friendship grows. Mm. It, it reminds me so much of, of those three words from Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss. Mm -hmm. and, and it seems like you, you're, you're following your bliss. Yes. And you know what? For many a year, many a decade, um, I had interruptions to following my bliss, as most of us do. And that's another reason why I'm a big fan of throwing away the clock and throwing away this addiction we have in our culture to efficiency because there there will be years when you can't do that. And that's mm -hmm. okay too because maybe you're taking care of children. Maybe you're taking care of um, elderly parents. Maybe you have to work night and day. So in a job that isn't quite your bliss. But that's why I'm a big fan. You know, everybody says life is short but I think life is long. Hmm. Can you, when you say that, what, what do you mean when you say it's long? What I mean is that we get to um, 
experience ourselves in very different stages throughout our lives. And so if you're in your 20s and you're struggling because you're in graduate school or you're in a job you don't particularly find is aligned with your values, or you just are in a phase of your life that seems insurmountable, it's important to think that life is long, that you'll get through this, that love outlasts the loss, that you'll come out the other side, you'll have an opportunity to, I wouldn't say reinvent yourself, because I feel like we don't necessarily change, but in a way to connect more deeply to yourself in your life and Mm -hmm. to live that path out, even if you can't right now. um, I do tell my own kids life is long. And I know, again, we're always told life is short, seize the day. But I also think when you think of it that way, you end up seizing the day in a more long-term way. Mm. Mm. That's such a great way of putting it. so what's the best way for, for listeners that want to maybe connect with you, learn more about you, get your books? Mm. Where should they go? Well, um, I have a website, which is my name, Um, But in this day and age, we're connected via social media. So, um, <laughs> you know, and again, I'm embracing it. I'm embracing it. I, I, I connect to social media in order to connect to people I want to connect with. And I think it has its pros and cons, as we all know. But um, they can find me on Instagram. I'm often sharing stories about Persian dishes that I love. They can find me on Twitter. They can find me, I suppose, on Facebook, though I'm not that active there anymore um yeah i'm definitely present um on instagram and twitter that's great and again you know if you're looking for a great book like i said about my mother you know who's already read it twice in like a week um if you're looking for a great summer summer reading book um check out the stationery shop as well as together tea so you know don't want to forget that one as well Yeah, first baby. Uh, Marjan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Drew. I really enjoyed our conversation. And I want to thank you for these great questions. You got me thinking. And please say hi to your mom, because now she's dear to my heart. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let her know. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.